0: Time for the Blind Broadcaster Podcast presented by the Luther King Broadcast Network. Each episode, Luther King sits down with fellow broadcasters to get their insight into their passion for broadcasting and discuss their career journey. Blind from birth, Luther King has never let that stop him from attaining his goal on becoming a blind broadcaster. And now, here's the blind broadcaster himself, Luther King. Hello again,
1: and welcome to another episode of the Blind Rock Caster Podcast, the flagship podcast, a proud entity of the Blind Rock Caster Podcast and the Luther King Broadcast Network. My guest this week has been in the Sports Talk game for a pretty good while. You can catch him weekdays on 7.30 the ump from 5 to 7 central time. He was here on National Sports Radio for a pretty good while until recently. This week we go to the ballpark, and my guest, Johnny Franks. If you have suggestions, ideas, comments, or concerns, please email me at luther.king.tsb at gmail.com. Find me also that way on Facebook. Find me on Twitter as well at King underscore TSB. And on IG at lking.cardinalsfan85. And if you want to learn more about the network and the podcast, you can go on the Blind Broadcaster podcast Facebook page. And the Luther King Broadcast Network Facebook page as well. And you can also go on the website at And Johnny, welcome aboard.
2: Oh, the pleasure is definitely mine.
1: So, at the high school level, were there opportunities for you to get into Sports Talk? Or when did you know Sports Talk was going to be
2: your life's work? well, the funny thing is uh, when I, I remember when I was eight for Christmas, I saw this radio DJ set up. So it had like two turntables and a microphone, which is funny when you think about the song <laughs> later, by back. Uh, but I remember wanting that for Christmas. Uh, but my dad passed away when I was 13. And oh, wow. I remember going by a football stadium And, uh, there was a high school game going on in Huntsville. That's where I I grew up. Uh, you know, I spent time in Birmingham and Decatur, but growing up in Huntsville. So I'm going by this high school stadium and I noticed the score. Well, a few minutes later on the music station, uh, they were giving some football scores out, but they didn't have that particular score. So I remember calling back in, giving them the score, and the guy says, well, hey, if if you can uh, get get me a final score, I'll get you an album. (laughs) So honestly, that kind of spurned the notion of getting involved in radio. I was a weekend music DJ in Huntsville, and at the same time I was serving as the high school and college football reporter starting at the age of 14.
1: So... (laughs) You probably did the turntable thing, spun the records. What was the experience of DJing preparing you to do sports talk wise? Or what did you feel like you learned from doing the disc jockey work that got you prepared for sports talk?
2: Well, first, it gets you into the notion of speaking, but it was still only, you know, at 15 to 30 second clips. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think the other part of it for me was the fact that the adults in the room never treated me as a kid. Although, you know, I don't even know if individuals at 13 and 14 would have been even in a position to work in radio or those kind of jobs today, but it was a different world growing up in the 70s. And for me, it was just the responsibility, the accountability uh, to be in that position. And the funny thing is, you know, I I worked in radio as far as a music DJ when I was in college down at at Florida State. Uh, But I really got away from sports. And so I was working on my business degree. I graduated from Florida State. And it just so happens that uh, my oldest brother and his wife lived in Nashville. And I went to one of the Nashville Sounds games uh, the summer that I graduated. And I I got the idea that, you know, I would love to work in sports. So I remember getting on the phone call. I didn't realize it at the time how difficult it was to actually break into sports. I didn't realize how many people wanted to work in sports. I didn't realize it was such a major uh, dilemma and obstacle to get get in so for me I made the phone call and I basically would not allow them to hang up on me you know they were telling me well to get into baseball you have to go to the winter meetings well that you know winter meetings are held in December and those particular winter meetings were being held in Hawaii well that wasn't going to work but I honestly I wouldn't let him get off the phone and he says well when are you going to be in Nashville and I told him I'd be there in two weeks I arranged an interview and it just so happens that somebody that they had Expected to be working for them. Uh, uh, It didn't, it fell through. He took a job elsewhere in the West Coast, and the job was mine. And so I go from that to nobody on the staff with any previous media experience. So bam, just like that, I become uh, the media relations director.
1: When you got the media relations gig with the sounds, probably when Larry Schmidt was owning the team, what? Absolutely. Uh, What things did you? Learn about yourself doing the media relations point of your career.
2: Well, I think for me, it was the biggest thing I learned from Larry, which I still, you know, I, I'm really big about that even today. Gotcha. Uh, the fact that the the things that he taught me, um, the way to deal with not just uh, your business relationships, but also your personal relationships, as far as like with the fans. Um, you know, even hold true today. I still, sir. I still look at him as a mentor, uh, a father figure. I'm close still to his family to this day, and you know, it was just a, an incredible opportunity. He believed in his employees. He believed in giving them responsibilities, and he expected results. He was a no BS kind of guy, and I can respect that. He made he made me a better. Uh, a better worker, a better person, just because of the things he instilled in me.
1: When you were with the sounds, I guess that's where Tennessee State and working with the legends of legends at Tennessee State came into play.
2: Well, I, I was really – it was one of these things where I, actually I was being groomed for a either a general manager's job in minor league baseball where I'd have my own team in a different market – or I was also being courted heavily by major league teams. Um, You know, my game programs were the best in minor league baseball. I was putting on amazing promotions uh, in in addition to what Larry Schmidow uh, had already put into place. And he allowed me to expand as a, you know, a better person as far as being out on the marketplace and people came calling and, and then the Tennessee State University position opened up. I was always a lifelong fan of college sports, uh, and the fact that you know I totally was aware of the importance of historically black universities. Obviously, growing up in the South, so I knew mm-hmm. about Tennessee State, Grambling, Jackson State. I knew that Jerry Rice played football at Mississippi yes, Valley State. Yes, exactly, and and so I knew for me there were so many untold stories. Uh, and I really wanted that opportunity, and so I went for it, and I was able to, uh, to uh, get the job as the sports information director at Tennessee State in 1988. And that
1: was after Johnny American had stopped coaching football, or uh,
2: Bill Tom? Yeah, Bill Thomas was the head coach, and he was also the director of athletics. And so I, I look back, I you know, how many people can say that they? Became friends with Ed Temple, who coached so many Olympians and mm-hmm. Olympic uh, medal winners. Uh, be- I became friends with Wilmer Rudolph. Uh, just all these greats, not only in uh, track, but, you know, football, basketball, you name it. And But, you know, honestly, it wasn't easy at the time. You know, it's a lot different now, and especially in the conversations we are having today across mm-hmm. the country. It yeah. works both ways. I mean, I still have the hate letters and stuff because they couldn't understand why a white person would want to work at an historically black university. For me, I never looked at color. I I just looked at, you know, uh, a person is who they are based on their actions, based on their beliefs, based on their experiences. And, And that's the only way I look at folks. What was it like
1: Talking to an Ed Temple, a Wilma Rudolph, who was probably one of the best women track athletes at Tennessee State at the time, and a legend in his own right, an Ed Temple, with the Tiger Bells putting out track athlete upon track athlete, and those people who still have relationships with Tennessee State when you were there, and now that they've gone to have successful lives and families and things like that?
2: You know, the coolest thing for me, I mean, yes, I knew his greatness, and Mm -hmm. I knew what he meant as far as worldwide, especially in the track and field uh, area, but for me, he was just Coach Temple, and – You know, and same thing with my favorite story of uh, any athlete. Uh, I have a couple. One involves two individuals that are now passed away. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's all because of being able to be in that position. Tennessee State gave me those opportunities. First was Wilma Rudolph. You know, Mm -hmm. after she got diagnosed with the tumor, uh, you know, here she is. She wanted to go out on her track. And so it was just Wilma Rudolph. Uh, uh, walking on a track named after her on mm-hmm. the campus, and me, and and unfortunately, a few short months later, she passed away. Mm-hmm. And the other one was would have been with uh, Coach uh, Pat Summit. Uh, you know, when I when our teams were not involved in you know postseason play, like in basketball, I would volunteer probably two out of every three years to work a men's or women's basketball tournament, and I just so happened to be working uh, the tournament, which the winner would be going on to the final four. And it was coach Summers, Tennessee team that went on to an undefeated season. But I remember, uh, after the game, after they had won, we were, I was in charge of, I was a media liaison. So I was in charge of making sure she got from the locker room to the interview area to be interviewed. And so she and I were walking and we get stopped by this little eight year old girl. Mm -hmm. And the eight-year-old girl wanted Coach Summit's uh, autograph. And so we paused. We were running late already, but I understood. So after she signs it, we start walking again. And she turns to me and goes, Johnny, today she's eight. In 10 years, she's 18. And she's going to be looking to play basketball somewhere. And I'll never forget that story. And I'll never forget those comments.
1: So when your media media liaison, when you're the SID at TSU. What were some of the things that you still use from when you were in those positions now?
2: Well, the the, the interesting thing is watching how when stories break, whether it's from professional teams or from college teams, Uh, looking at the playbook as far as media relations 101, looking at coach speak or AD speak 101. um, It's almost like some people are playing checkers in the media and I'm playing chess. And what I mean by that is I know exactly what they're doing. A good example uh, with news breaking that the New England Patriots have signed Cam Newton.
1: Yeah, I saw that yesterday.
2: Well, the same day it happened, remember, they get hit with the one point one million dollar fine yep. and also giving up a third round draft pick mm-hmm. uh, due to the uh, the film crew associated with their website illegally uh, recording the Bengals. Yeah. And so I knew exactly what they're doing when you knew that a bad story was coming. You, you kind of bombarded the media with those feel-good stories as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was no coincidence that what happened yesterday with the Patriots, and, and I see all the missteps all the time when programs have opportunities like that and they don't take advantage of it. Uh, or if they do have bad news coming, instead of being proactive and, they're reactive. and driving, they're reacting, and you've already lost when you go down that path.
1: I think that's the same thing I can say about this country. We are the most reactive country I've ever seen when it comes to things like, I don't know, what we're dealing with with the COVID-19, what we're dealing with with protests of everything that's going on right now. Instead of being proactive and putting things in place where everything's equal, we react and this is where we are.
2: I wish I could say we were reactive. Uh, I'm not that naive in the sense that uh, I think that decisions that have been made, decisions that continue to be made, especially the wrong ones, are based on agendas. And they're based on agendas that do not uh, basically serve the citizens of our country very well. Look, I I learned early on. You know, I was... Not I was eight to ten years of age. I mean, I was really you know I was when I in nineteen when I was eight years old. Here I am on a sheet of paper counting yeah. up all the delegates. Who's going to be the nominee for the Republican side of uh, for president? Who's going to be the nominee for the Democratic side for mm-hmm. president? So I was that guy. So, but from ages eight to ten, I lived through the Watergate era, and so. And and Nixon. And so what that taught me was and the dirty politics, you know, Mm. sending out fake rumors and about uh, George McGovern, who was the nominee on the Democratic side and and the folks associated with McGovern. And so I learned at an early age, it's okay to question our leaders. Now, I am never going to question my belief that the United States of America is the best country in the world. In my heart, I believe that. But do I think necessarily our leaders over the course of time at times had our best interests at heart? No, no. I, don't. I think they had personal uh, agendas that benefited themselves and the folks that got them into power.
1: I agree with you. I mean, I believe this country has always been great, but it can be better. And the dirty oh, pool. I- yes, it, I you know, When the president before the one we have now, if, you know, if everybody could have worked together instead of having their own agendas and idiosyncrasies and egos and personal vendettas at one another, instead of dealing with the issues that were on the table that should have been taken care of,
2: we would be in a much better position. Here's the problem. The, the problem, and this goes into this. You can talk about sports. You can talk about the business world. You can talk about the entertainment world. Life in general. Plus. If you think about power and a lot of folks think they have power, but the reality is, you know, once you get just a little taste of power, you, you want know, more. Well, most people can't deal with that. Most people can't deal with being rich. You know, no. studies show us that when you get rich, those are the people that become the most insecure because they don't want to lose it. And so it's never enough. And power is one of those things that people will sell their souls uh, to uh, keep that power once they obtain it.
1: And there's an old adage that goes more power comes more responsibility.
2: Absolutely. Now, I mean, just for example, look what happened in the state of Mississippi. Yeah. I, I mean, over do the a, weekend. I mean, well, I, I look at this. I mean, like folks doing the right thing as far as all these coaches last week uh, converging and to talk with the uh, legislatures and, and trying to get this changed. Uh, mm-hmm. But here's the thing. You know, when Lane Kiffin took the job, did he ever mention about the fact that, oh, we've got to change the state flag? Nope, he didn't. Did not. Mike Leach bring nope. it up uh, when he took the job as Mississippi State's head coach? Nope, oh, by because, the way, we've because... changed the flag. Uh, but they look, they were saying all the right things last week, and if it got something changed that should have been changed
1: Year, you know, decades, years ago. Ago,
2: decades ago, then it's a good thing. Uh, I know Colin Hill kind of started it, but it was already in motion when – When you start threatening, like Greg Sankey, the Commissioner of the SEC, starts threatening that there'll be no uh, conference championships held in the state of Mississippi, that's saying something. When you're only tournaments held there, then I think that starts all of a sudden. You get that ball rolling. So in the end, were all the hearts pure with what their motivation was? No, but in the end, does it really matter if the things got changed? But I still believe, though, you know, until we want real change. You know, I was trying to explain what the hashtag Black Lives Matter movement means to the same people who don't like, you know, kneeling down for the flag. And and I and I have to. And it's really simple. And but Black Lives Matter basically means Black Lives Matter, too. And exactly. so we were born in with the Constitution that teaches us all men are created equal. Uh, Women were given the right to vote uh, early part of the 20th century. I believe it was
1: 1920, if my math is correct.
2: Yeah, some late late teens in that ballpark. And here's the thing. Does it matter? I mean, what did we experience the last two years before what we're going through right now? The Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. Uh, The fact that we had to even pass civil rights legislation in 1964 yep. that uh, protected us against discrimination whether you know the color of your skin your choice of religion you know your sex your, sex. your race and yet, whatever and yet none of it applies no. of, i mean You're we're still right. fighting these things and so and i said i said for those that are upset because i'm not look in my life i don't pull punches and so i said for those that are upset with people protesting Think about, put yourself in their shoes for just a moment. You're dealing with it for two weeks. What about the fact that if you had to deal with that every second of every minute of, of every life. hour of every day, all your life, your parents did, your grandparents did, your great-grandparents did, so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. I mean, at what point do you get to the uh, notions like enough's enough? I mean, like me personally, you know, I was in, I'm was i my mom's side. You know, I'm one-eighth Cherokee Indian. Uh, mm-hmm. My great grandparents had five hundred acres of their land taken away, just like that boom overnight it 's no longer yours. gone and, and so I mean I look at people who were born into money. I look at uh, you know and, and President Trump, uh, Ted Turner, I mean, the list goes on and on and on, I, and I go back, well, that was mine. you know that was my inheritance one day. you know some of those acres of my were my that was going to be my land that 's mm-hmm. gone and it 's gone. And can never be gotten back. And so you get to the point when all of a sudden that spread becomes even more so, as far as between the haves and the have-nots. And then you throw into the mix COVID nineteen. People are struggling. You got family of four that can't put food on the table. Exactly. They're waiting. And a lot lot of you know you get to the point. Enough's enough. And
1: here's the thing. You know, I try to explain this to a lot of other people too, and I'm like, you know what? Here's the sad part that you're missing here the people that had to file for unemployment are the same people that you deal with every day on the road in the office or when you actually had when you actually went to a job that actually had an office right or you were doing all this stuff at home this is the same these are the same people that you conversated with you had lunch with you had meetings with that no longer have the option to go to the job that they've been working at for years. And now these people that have no other options are going to have to find another line of work that they've never worked in their lives. That's going to be paying them even less than they normally would get paid to support themselves as a single person or as a husband or a wife, either working from an office or vice versa to where now they're having to do some, tighten the belt stock even more just to make it in the meat so they can support their kids and themselves.
2: And I I look at, uh, you know, for example, I, I have, you know, especially on the social media aspects of things, I have friends all across uh, the country, but especially in the (laughs) Southeast. And I look at some of the opinions that are being thrown out there because everybody now is an amateur politician. And the thing that amazes me most is some of the things that I read. We're also talking about, states that are always ranked at the bottom you know your bottom five as far as ranking with regards to education and it's almost like when you have power people in power want to keep people dumb you know they don't want to have them educated because if they exactly. do have over- homework and look though i blame and but i'm not using that as an excuse oh, you no. know if you don't like it if you're a citizen and you don't like it that's on you that's on you for not wanting to know more. That's on you for not getting all aspects of a story so you get a better picture of what it is instead of being told what to think you can think for yourself and so and get off your
1: duff and please register to vote if you don't oh absolutely on but not lead. just
2: register to vote and not just register and be lazy and and vote for one party over the other. Vote for real issues. Vote for real people. Don't do the lazy thing. Straight ticket, because to me, that's not the answer. You know, no. the, I, I honestly, I wish that you know the best thing that could happen for our country. We would do away with parties. Thank you. you know, I I've I, 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 would- I, I never saw the the. I mean, I know why it's there. It's there to empower the folks to be able to take advantage of the system once they get elected. It doesn't help the citizens of our country.
1: No, it doesn't. I mean, you know, I'm not going to even ask you what your affiliation is. I know you don't no, you care. I, I mean, I, to be honest with you, I don't care. I mean, I may never care, but you know what? I don't like, to be honest with you, I don't like anybody at any part of the aisle because it feels like nobody's, you know, doing anything truthful that's going to be genuine for us as citizens. Well, I, I wish—I'll be, be honest. I wish with parties you. would be gotten rid of.
2: You know, if I'm and more of anything, I would probably say I'm more of a President Lincoln, Ronald Reagan type of Republican. I—I um, I, I don't. I mean, I go back and forth. I'm not independent, although my mindset is I don't mm-hmm. believe in everything that either party says. Agreed. I have major issues with both parties. Mm-hmm. Um, but knowing the ability as far as if I ever ran and I always wanted to be a congressman, honestly, <laughs> uh, but I don't have a lot of faith on the with the Democratic Party. And mainly because I think historically it's a party that's kept people down. You know, it's just like the old saying, if you give somebody a fish, they eat for the, a day. Uh, I've always believed in teaching people how to fish, how to improve their lives, how to make and give themselves a better life. A better and change so, and a better opportunity absolutely yes. i mean i'm a perfect example i mean i'm very fortunate to be in the position i've traveled the world i my mom worked three jobs, worked third shift when I was going to middle school and high school after my dad died mm-hmm. and and yet here i am well educated I have an m b a and 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 it's because that I wanted a better life for myself. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like anybody was giving me anything. Everything I've earned in my life, I've had to go out and get and earn it and work hard for it. A lot of sacrifices. You know, like we go back to the days working in radio as a in high school while everybody else enjoying themselves on Friday nights. You're slaving. Uh, Here I am working. You know, at at home on a Friday night with the. I I had basically ten radio stations and. Uh, two wire services and three TV stations. They were all paying me to provide high school scores, for example, on Thursday, Friday nights back then, which was was the seventies. I was making $30 an hour for 10 hours of work. And I saved every dime. I saved every dime, uh, to help pay my way through college. I ended up everything in college was paid for except I think my last semester, and it's because of the sacrifices that i had to make knowing i wanted a better life and and it was almost like one of these conversations i had with god one day you help me get to where i'm going to be and i will uh, serve you the rest of my life trying to make a difference each and every day and that's why i end all my shows with the phrase make it count make it count i
1: yeah i can i can see why i mean it's not easy But if it were easy, like I tell people all the time, if this thing called life were easy, everybody would do it.
2: But sadly, it's not. And, you know, the funny thing is I wouldn't trade my life for anyone's. Uh, Uh, I wouldn't trade my life for somebody because the things, the experiences that I've had in my lifetime. It's made uh, you who you are. Oh, and plus, I mean, people would pay to have those. I mean, for example, one night we were uh, at, at Tennessee State. We were playing Jackson State on a Friday night at Soldier Field uh, in Chicago. And, and guess who? At the end of the ball game, you know how after you you know leave the press box to escort the media down for post game interviews. Yeah. Well, right next to me was a member of the Chicago Bears at the time, still playing one Walter Payton, who was a Jackson State alumnus. And so mm. here I am thinking, how cool is this? Having a conversation uh, with, with Walter a Payton in that situation. Yeah. So there's things like that in my entire life. I mean, I, a lot of these stories I've even forgotten, but uh, but they're still memories and they're still there. And all, all I have to do is look at a publication, a game program, uh, mention a team from a particular year and all these memories come flooding back.
1: Now you and I have a friend in common in Mike Oregon. He, I tell you, what has that man not done in writing in interviewing just things that he's done in the newspaper industry? You second in, and I know you have him on your show on what, Wednesdays, Thursdays, if my math is Mike
2: Yeah, Mike Organ and I have been friends uh, since He's probably awesome. 1986,
1: 87. And,
2: and so, and a lot of these individuals who I have on my show, we've been friends and we worked in the media together, or I, you know, work with them to help them with their stories or whatever the case may be. And that's another thing too. You know, we go back to, you asked me about Larry Schmidt and mm-hmm. and that's one of the things still important. You know, you can do a hundred things right with and, and somebody will look at you from that standpoint. But if you ever do something wrong, they Oof. don't remember the hundred things you did well. They, they remember, remember the one, one thing, thing, got thing wrong. that you, you, uh, you know you betrayed them in whatever way Mm. and that's why today i can look in the mirror i can go to sleep at night knowing that in you know from a professional personal standpoint i've always lived my life with that mindset you know i'm not going to please everyone my because of my tenaciousness and my drive it it, it sometimes turns some people off i get that Uh, but in the end you know I, I know the uh, only thing I really want, you don't have to like me as long as you respect me and respect, you know, my my ethic. And, we'll get along. Integrity. okay? Yeah, because those are areas I think that you can't compromise on. I am so I feel I'm rich with ethics, integrity and morals and and, the, and I'm not perfect. You know, I've I sin just like Who anybody else. But at the same time, I would match those traits that I have with anybody in the world because I, I don't compromise those things. Even if I was in office, if I ever was elected, you know, people in power would hate me because money from special interest groups wouldn't influence me. Nuh-uh. I would want it. I can't be bought and I've lived too many years on this world to be bought and sacrifice those things now. I'm not going to change now. And here's the thing. Why should you? Absolutely. I mean, why? You don't why?
1: Have if you say you have ethics, integrity, and yet you go cheat on your spouse, that basically makes you a hypocrite.
2: I mean, how many folks, I mean, I think I'm blessed in the sense that I can, thousands of friends and associates that go back almost four decades to one of my early teens, I can go back that far with so many people who knew me then, who know me now, and there's really not much difference as far as the core of who I am.
1: What was it like dealing and covering the legend Bobby
2: Bowden? You know, I'm very fortunate with that because I remember my first semester on the campus down there at Florida State, it just so happens that we were having a pep rally Friday night outside the stadium and he was there addressing the fans. Well, I get called up to the because I just started working. I was a, the weekend radio DJ for one of the stations there, and so I get you know brought up to the stage, and and so I get a chance to talk, and and then it passed things over to uh, Coach Bowden. Uh, but over the years, I mean, I remember my last year in Huntsville. I started sports talk radio. I got out of working inside sports in two thousand. And one, I started working in Sports Talk Radio in 2008, and I was in Huntsville, my hometown. And I remember the last year I was there, it was the night before all the tornadoes hit in April of 2011, not only in North Alabama, but Tuscaloosa.
1: Oh, yeah, I think um, I remember that
2: story. Well, Bobby Bowden was speaking uh, at a fundraiser, and so I was the master of ceremonies. And so it was so cool to be in that moment. But over time and over the years, you know, Coach Bowden and myself, we have just become extremely close. I'm close to his family. I always uh, – my last conversation with Tommy Bowden, one of his sons, I said, you know, when is uh, when is Coach and, uh, and your mom, when are they going to adopt me? And Tommy Bowden <laughs> goes, well, they'll adopt you, but you're not getting any of the money. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I'm very – and you know, and just individuals like that. You know, I, because of what I do, I have the freedom to reach out to whoever I want as far as guests. And I remember, I was on this mission to <laughs> a friend Coach Herman Boone of Remember the Titans fame. And so, you know I,
1: what? I'm glad you had that. Con- I'm glad you had that up there.
2: I he listened to that.
1: That was fantastic.
2: Well, so he and I, um, and it was one of those things where I'd have him on you know, a couple times a year mm-hmm. and he and I became really close. It was really sad news for me that he passed away last year. Um, even had the real Rudy, for example. I mean, it's, you know, it's fun when you can just go down that path and, and I never know, I never write questions down. Right. I do my homework. So I know people's backgrounds, but I don't want to know the full story. I don't want to have all the answers. I, I want to, you know, know enough about them to start a conversation just like you and I, because we had no idea where this conversation is going. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> but but that's the same way with my interviews and, mm-hmm. you know, it works 90 plus percent of the time. There is a few that don't go anywhere. Uh, but for the most part, that's how you get your best interviews and best answers when nothing is scripted, you know? And I said, you know, and I build trust with folks, Luther. I mean, it's one of these yeah, things yeah. where, I don't ask the tough question out of the gates. You know, I, I build up, get them talking about other people because people are more comfortable about talking about other things. And then I get them to open up when they feel comfortable, where they start talking about themselves.
1: I know you talked to one of the uh, writers from Georgia who talked about... um. Their issue with the NFL saying that they wouldn't come back to Georgia until that flag got changed, and the flag got changed because, hey, Atlanta wanted to keep Atlanta wanted to get some Super Bowl action too. So, right, they had you know, I <clears throat> heard that you when you did the interview with him yesterday at about 545, and I listened to that interview because I'm like, yeah, either it was gonna be done and they were gonna get the dollars. And everything than the cachet that comes and the prestige to put their city in lights and on national TV for a Super Bowl or a sporting event. But they had to basically capitulate to leagues that say, hey, if you don't change this, you're not going to get it anymore until you do something about it.
2: In a perfect world, they would have made that decision without any influence from the NFL? Exactly, uh, because here's the thing: you're changing it, but you're changing it for all the wrong reasons. You're exactly. changing it because you're going to lose money, lose opportunities, and, and that's the problem. Why we find ourselves in, this in situation. the mess that we're in. Money is because you have to change hearts and you have to change mindsets. What are the basic keys?
1: Because I know you had you have Jay Hansen, still as your producer, but right now he's not there. Zach Williams, yeah Zach,
2: yeah, Zach Williams is now our producer now. So, yeah, Zach's now the producer now. Um, who is the?
1: I think still the current voice of the Hendersonville Commandos on WHIN Radio, and does his other sports talk show on the weekends until fantasy fo- fantasy rescue for football starts back up in the fall. What are you looking for when you're? either wanting to develop talent or what are you looking to teach them if they already have the skills to be where, you know, in a position to succeed, especially working with you?
2: I, I think for me, and I'm kind of lucky and I think everybody has gifts when they're born. And, and, and this is one that I would not trade. Yeah. I'd love to be six foot tall. I'm five, nine. I mean, there's things like that. Hey, I,
1: look, I I'm, I'm, you know what I'm six foot, Six, one, but I will never be able to make a shot in baskets. I'll never <laughs> play football. I mean, with, with, with what I, you know, with me being blind, I mean, I've been blind pretty much my whole life. Right. But at least the one thing I can say is that I'm blessed that I'm able to have at least one person help me out with the things that I want to do. And plus, I can do this podcast from home, and that's no big deal.
2: Well, and uh, for me, as far as uh, and what I was going to get at with that is the fact that I got blessed with the ability and I never knew it was a, a an ability. Uh, I just assumed everybody else could do this too. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as I don't have a headache. And that's why I have a ritual uh, about 30 minutes before every show, every day, I take a, a BC powder. Because uh, <laughs> if I don't have a headache, I mean, I remember even the most obscure things from the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the and so I can and so interestingly enough, when somebody calls in, uh, I never have to ask them what their or, or my producer who puts them on the phone to talk. I never have to ask them what do they want to talk about, what subject, because most folks don't do their homework. I am always overly prepared, uh, and it's because I, I I'm more comfortable. So this way, I can be I can be more entertaining. I can be funnier. I can be relaxed. I never have to stress about what, what I'm going to talk, talk about? about.
1: How am I going to be able to fill two hours? How am I going to be able to fill three hours or two exactly. hours? Exactly,
2: exactly. I never stress about those things, and and it's mainly because of the fact, you know, preparation gives you that, and preparation exactly. gives you that, and no matter what you do in life, exactly, because you know, that's when when you see somebody uncomfortable, you know they didn't do they had before. done their
1: homework and you can you can tell right off
2: the bat if they've
1: done their homework you 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 can hear it it doesn't take an idiot or a rocket scientist to know who's done their homework and who's not
2: and another thing i challenged myself i mean look it hasn't been easy obviously for anybody that does sports talk radio uh for the past you know since march it hasn't Uh, but I, you know, took on other type of challenges. Like I challenged myself starting in the first week of April. You know, I knew at that point I started going down my, you know, friends list. Who do I know? Well, I started going to talk to Heisman trophy winners. Well, it started with Johnny Rogers who won in 1972 for Nebraska. And then I continued that with Charlie Ward from Florida state who I've gotten Mm -hmm. to know over the years and it continued with Eddie George and then George Rogers. Well, then that's it, you know, as far as immediately I can get on the phone and talk to. So mm-hmm. that led me to the weekend. So I challenged myself, well, let's see how many consecutive days that I can go and have a Heisman Trophy winner on my show. Mm-hmm. And it's not like there's a list that you can go to with phone numbers. You have to do your research. Exactly. You have to... It was almost like a game every day uh, to see how long I can keep this streak going. And I got up to, I was in the mid twenties. So it, it went on for six weeks. I even tracked down the oldest living Heisman trophy winner, who he's 95 Johnny Lou Jack, who won it for Notre Dame in the late forties. Wow. wow. I, had, I had Paul Horning on, but the stories, you know, I had a former brigadier general in Pete <laughs> Dawkins who won in 58, uh, uh, for Army. I mean, uh, I had Archie Griffin, who won, uh, the only one to win. To win two, twice. Uh, and, you know, Tony Dorsett, who unfortunately, because of health issues, he can't remember, if I'm talking to him in the afternoon, he doesn't remember much about that morning as far as, say, breakfast. But he has vivid memories of his playing days in the 70s and the 80s. And, and it was interesting, too, because I was able to talk to him him about Johnny Majors, who was his head coach at Pitt, and also his the person who recruited him there, Jackie Sherrill. And then it kind of timed in perfectly, unfortunately, a month later with Johnny Majors passing away. Mm -hmm. And yet here I have somebody that was talking about him with these warm words just a month earlier.
1: Sure. And I noticed you had some play-by-play voices and a guy that you and I have talked to and have in common the voice of the Clemson Tigers, Don Munson, right? Who took you over know, the I, legendary I start, Jim
2: Phillips? I, I started doing that about you know, I for since 2015, I've been hosting a two hour college football show and it mm-hmm. serves as a countdown to kick off uh, as far as the early morning and then also previewing the afternoon and night games. Yep, and it started, you know, it, you, you reach out to the voice of Tennessee. I'm friends with Bob Kessling. Oh, yes, yeah,
1: had him on Tennessee. the show too. <laughs>
2: And uh, Coach, I mean, so, and Joe Fisher. And so then it's, I started reaching out to all these other play-by-play guys. You've had Matt an LePay. And, and, and so whether it's Clemson or USC or Nebraska. So when I started doing, or Wisconsin. And so when I started doing that, it, it, you were just getting more interesting takes and, and, you know, a lot of times some of these folks, you know, that I reach out to, not I'm not talking necessarily about play-by-play guys because they're used to talking. Sure. But some are sometimes hesitant, but then they have so much fun that I, they don't think twice to want to come on again. Because, you know, I, I feel like I'm different. I don't mm-hmm. put anybody under the spot. I don't throw anybody under a bus. Uh, it's just casual conversation back and forth. I'm not drilling them with questions. It's more in a conversational style kind of like what we're doing here. I mean, exactly. Same thing I, You know,
1: I didn't, you know, I mean I know your schedule was tight and everything else and I'm like, hey, just whenever your schedule works and we just go from there and look it out for and we've gone at least over a half hour of just talking about different topics. And that's what I like about doing about these interviews, I mean because if, you know, we can go many different directions especially about today's topics and Now that we have MLB coming back and with the NHL and MLS and all the other, you know, sports that were on hiatus for a long while. How do you think fans like us, like you and I, what do you think the biggest thing or key for the NHL, MLB, Major League Soccer? What do you think the biggest things are going to be for those leagues to get back into a
2: rhythm of play? We'll look back and say, let's fast forward to twenty forty. Uh, we'll look back at twenty twenty with it's just a head scratch a head scratching time. We're going through i mean i I look back at the things that i saw as a kid i mean my oldest brother uh almost got uh drafted as far as vietnam war and this Mm -hmm. was when i was four or five you know i mentioned watergate uh mlk assassinations
1: or was that or was that after your time
2: no no the assassinations happened i was actually six months old when jfk was assassinated but you know starting at the age of three i you know it's really strange i have All these vivid memories from age three on, and I've always been fascinated by the Kennedy family, for example. I've been uh, always fascinated by, you know, what happened with the assassination, who was involved, how many people knew, Um,
1: how much of a cover-up was there?
2: Yeah, and and so we get down, we go down that path, and and Mm -hmm. but I've always, you know, was always curious about things, and you know. I mean, I'm the kind of person, strangely enough, if I'm driving late at night going down the interstate, (laughs) uh, I'll play out scenarios in my head. What if, you know, what if I encounter uh, a car wreck and there's a fire? What do I do? Um, I've been fortunate enough because of planning in my head strange events. Uh, You know, I've saved four people's lives using CPR. Uh, Mm -hmm. I've, um, you know, I'm prepared to you know, if, if I'm ever in a situation in a restaurant or mall, whatever, and there's a shooter, uh, if I have the opportunity, I'm going to take the shooter down. But because I plan these things in my head, all types of events and emergencies that I may encounter when they're happening, I'm not thinking about them. I'm I'm actually going into the mode of do what I've trained my mind to do in that situation and then afterwards, I can think back like, whoa, <laughs> you know, what just happened there? Um, but I think that's also the way you, I deal with life's issues, too. You know, and that's why doing what I do on a daily basis, you know, it when you, we're measured by every word we say, you know, people remember people remember sentences. And there are so many folks that say things and have no idea what they just said from the standpoint of how it's going to be taken um, I never worry about talking about race on my show, or t- because I know my heart is pure, and, and so, and I know because of my experiences that I, I don't. A lot of folks avoid topics where they're uncomfortable bringing them up because they don't know how their views are going to be portrayed. I don't worry about things like that.
1: I mean. As a sports talk broadcaster, kind of like the play-by-play broadcaster, even though you're coming home, you know, to your lovely bride every night, how is it on a day-in, day-out basis? You probably does not get a chance to listen much, but when you deal with topics in your show, has it led to many discussions? And how... Have you and your bride, even though in sports talk and with other things that you deal with, with sales and everything else at WNSR, that you've been able to keep a happy household for over 20 plus years or maybe longer than that?
2: Well, for me personally with my wife, I mean, just like this, you know, I would say out of, uh, and these are things that you can train your mind to do uh, in normal times, 20 out of 21 days, I go to sleep happy. I wake up happy. I'm just, I've trained my mind to look at the glasses half full and not half empty. Uh, And literally it takes three weeks to do that. So that's one of the things that, for example, if anybody who's listening to this, if they find themselves at times, why am I always thinking from a negative standpoint, not a positive standpoint? Mm -hmm. You can say simple things. You can Google it online, but there's ways to train your mind, really simple little steps, where after three weeks, your mindset is positive. But with that said, look, we're all, you know, this has been like a roller coaster of emotions and feelings that we've all gone through since we found out about COVID-19, about the Mm -hmm. coronavirus. And so, and it was really strange early on, you know, back in the latter part of March, early part of April, for whatever reason, Tuesdays were my worst days. Uh, It was just, and it was just one of those days where I could not, I would be giving myself pep talks in the morning <laughs> and for whatever reason, I don't know if because the weather was lousy for three straight Tuesdays, I was just having a difficult time, but we've all, you know, had those moments. And and if I can help people escape while providing information and also providing some fun guests and fun stories and fun memories, then I feel like I'm doing my part, but we all need to be lifted up. I mean, if you're if you're if you're not, then you are one blessed soul, and you need to share some of that with everybody else. <laughs> uh, yeah, bottle it up, please. Don't be hoarding that because we <laughs> all need that. And, yeah,
1: and please bottle bottle a hey, Well, If you if you can bottle that and put that on the market, you'd be
2: a rich person for the rest of your life. And look, that's why on, on Facebook or I, I and on, on Twitter. I know I have a, I can impact thousands of people with my post, and so I try to go down that route, and I don't think about it. I, I've been blessed being able to write just like I can speak well about my thoughts, feelings, whatever. Uh, I can write the same way, um, and so I try to share that gift as much as possible. Uh, Mm -hmm. because I know that's just one. When I think about the folks on the front lines, when I think about, you know, the nurses and the doctors, uh, my only regret, honestly, it kind of reminds me back as a kid, how they used to glorify getting shot. They never show, They never showed in movies or TV shows what a real bullet wound looks like when somebody gets blasted. And, you know, to me, I wish they, I know why, because they don't want to, mm, brings traumatized are traumatized mm-hmm. i i wish there was a way that like it's like for example i see the you know the folks that are just resistant about wanting to wear masks i wish they would portray somebody who's in the hospital who's got this what they have to go through to fight this and exactly and those that survive and then those that don't i know it's You know, if I was in that position and I was dying, I know people would say, well, you need to protect the decency of somebody in that that moment. I would be like, if it could help somebody else, personally, I would volunteer if I'm ever in that situation. I know it makes me look, it would be me at my worst, and I understand that. But if it could help somebody fully understand and embrace exactly what what it is when you get this and what you have to go through if you're in the hospital. I wonder how many other people could, it would change their mindset the way they think about this. Sure. I mean, every
1: time I go out, I at least have the mask on if I'm going somewhere in public. I mean, I may have forgotten it once or twice, but I at least have it because I know it's going to, with the lung problem that I have, I have to have it. There's no... No way around it.
2: Arrogance today, with your thoughts about that, will either we'll get be st-
1: deadly killed, tomorrow.
2: We'll get your friends killed. We'll get your loved ones killed. We'll Even get you. Killed. Even you. Yes. I mean, look, my oldest brother died from this. I mean, I, I've talked about it on the air. I don't want to necessarily keep going down that path and talking about it uh but he died at the latter part of march uh out in oregon he and his wife both got it she survived mm. he didn't wow and so uh you know when people go i don't i had somebody on the air yesterday who doesn't even know anybody personally who has contracted it for whatever well, good reason. For them. i mean good because i i'm now in double digits of people that i know unfortunately only i mean unfortunately rather only one person has passed away and that was my older brother Mm -hmm. Uh, the other nine, uh, I mean, the last one I found out about, uh, two weeks ago, she tested negative for it. They, they diagnosed her with pneumonia and then two days later they retested and she was positive. So they had a faulty first test on her. And when they tested again, so, so now she's fighting, you know, Mm COVID-19 and she's somebody who previously, I mean, she's, you know, young, she's not like she's an elderly person. Uh, and it's one of these things where you just don't know. Uh, you have to be, you know, if, if doing something like that, even, I and mean, nobody wants to wear the mask. And I tried cute things too. Like I tried, uh, putting our, we have a, a Scotty Westie mix and <coughs> even put a mask on her. And, and it, cause it's an Auburn mask. And we joked about her, you know, although she's the Auburn mask, she's wearing it for her mom. Uh, she's actually an Alabama fan because it's easier for her to say roll tie because of roof. Well, I, I did that, you know, so wear your mask, and that didn't work. So then I got like, okay, let's just throw it out there. Uh, you know, you can tell whether or not you've got good, bath or, or good breath or bad breath by wearing that mask, right? So I <laughs> jokingly said, and this is the The really,
1: I saw the post, the, saw it, the post when you it,
2: posted. Really, that was the one that hit home. I said, I'm going to assume if you're not wearing a mask, then you've got bad breath. And either way, I don't want to be within six feet of you anyway. And and so that was (laughs) the one that kind of hit home. Yeah, because I saw that. I'm like, he's got a point. And there's probably, unfortunately, a lot of truth to
1: that. Uh, Yeah, there probably is.
2: (laughs) So if you're a a dentist out there and looking for new patients, I'd be looking for all the ones that don't have masks. Those those could be potential new clients for you. (laughs) Hello cavities and hello drilling. Right. <laughs> so
1: who's in the ballpark today?
2: Uh, today is we, you know, I've been very fortunate to know uh, this lady. She's a Hall of Famer, three-time sports writer of the year. Uh, Miss Our professional careers go back uh, for three decades. Teresa Walker with the oh, Association yes. of in New and York. I also, and you, know, it's fort- you know, this is just one of those individuals that um, – What I wanted to talk about the Patriots, this was back in 2015. I reached out to this individual, never uh, had any previous conversations with him. uh, But it's another example. He had a great time. Anytime I reach out to him, no hesitation. But Jim McBride, he is the New England Patriots beat writer for the Mm -hmm. Boston Globe. And I have so many individuals like that who, you know, it's because, look, they get bombarded with requests. uh, And. (coughs) And some people, you know, I get asked this question a lot. You know, how much do you pay people to come on to interview? I've never paid anybody, never paid one penny, one dime. I paid them with compliments. I paid them with thank yous. If they've had a previous book, I've allowed them to plug that. Uh, if they have foundations that they are involved with, I, I give them the opportunity to push their charity and community service work. And I push them on, you know, as far as their you know, Twitter accounts and things along those lines, uh, but I've never had to pay for anybody, and I never will pay for a guest to come on the show.
1: Exactly. I mean, why? Why should you have to pay? Why? Why should you have to pay cash to have a good
2: conversation
1: with somebody? I mean, we get.
2: I mean, just like what we're doing right here. I mean, I'm always amazed by the numbers of people that go back to listen to interviews or listen to an hour part of my show because we post everything on SoundCloud. So exactly. I post every interview and I post uh, each hour separately on SoundCloud. Mm-hmm. And, and for my, me personally, I mean, we're talking about in the neighborhood of twenty to 30,000 replays a month. And that always – so forget about just the individuals that are listening live at the time. I'm always amazed by those numbers. Uh, as far as imp- impressions on Twitter, for example, me personally, I'm getting like 3 million-plus impressions a, a, a year as far as what people see that I post or do or anything involved with my show. Uh, And so with that comes responsibility and it comes also, uh, it comes with accountability as well. And, you know, I always tell folks because you see people posting stupid things and losing More more
1: than their fair share.
2: Yeah. And my thing is, and it's a perfect lesson, whether you're doing something on Facebook or Twitter or whatever you use, I always say, say it out loud. And if it sounds like a good idea, then good. If it sounds like a bad idea, then it probably is.
1: Exactly. And as Herm would always say,
2: don't press send. (laughs) Absolutely. Might want to rethink the send part because you can't bring it back.
1: Yeah, because once that toothpaste is out of the tube, there's no vacuum that can suck it back into the tube and you can use it again, it's gone, it is tough. It's though. Gone.
2: I mean, look, luckily for me, I'm thick-skinned. I mean, I honestly am one of those individuals. I, if you like me or whatever, I don't care. A lot of folks have a tough time with that. Uh, Howard Cosell, back when he was uh, working in television, the late Howard Cosell, mm-hmm. when he was on Monday Night Football, he runs two polls: one for your favorite uh, analyst, one for your least uh, favorite analyst. He was on top of both lists. Now that's a win-win right there, uh, but he had a tough time. He was thin-skinned and he took things personally. And you know, i am just never had that. You know, I once again, you, you're entitled to your opinion. For those individuals that I respect as far as their their thoughts, I listen to them. Uh, but others, you know, whatever. You know, that's your opinion. Great. You know, there's look. I'm not trying to do a show. I'm not trying to post things that pleases everyone. Exactly. Look, there's options. There's reasons why there's options. There's exactly. reasons why we have as many channels on television that we do. I, I don't, I'm not trying to please a hundred percent of the people. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of folks don't get what I'm trying to do. A lot of times I talk over people's heads as far as, you know, where I'm going with subject matter. Uh, some people want, you know, you know, third grade, second grade, you know, that's, sorry, I can't do that.
1: Some people want, some people won't feel good. It's like, it's like church. Some people go to church to get, you know, a feel good sermon. Some people go, you know, to church because they feel like they need to go back and the Lord needs to see them or something like that. A lot of people go to things for different things.
2: I will end with this. You know, I will just say this, as far as my goal each and every day on the air uh, I do look to entertain I also look to provide interesting guests. I also provide a format for you to weigh in as far as your opinions mm-hmm. uh, but at the end I, I'm just trying to make you know your next two hours as or if, if it's 20 minutes or whatever how long you're listening I, I'm just trying to leave you with something and that you didn't know previously and the fact that, you were at least entertained or provoked to think about things that maybe you hadn't looked at it from that standpoint. And that's my goal each and every day. Some days I, I succeed. Some days I fail, but at least the effort is there.
1: Did you, cause I kind of want to close with this. I want to thank you for the time. I mean, I know, oh you didn't pleasure, have to, you. but you know, you didn't have, but you did. And we got some definite gold in here. So it's definitely going to be up. But when Jimmy Valvano made his speech the first time for the Jimmy V Cancer Foundation on the ESPYs, when he got the ESPY award for that, the big part of his speech when he said, besides the don't give up, don't ever give up, the three things that made his life you know, worthwhile, if he thought, if he cried, if he laughed, that's a pretty full day. And I know, in a fifteen twenty minute time frame, or however long you know each segment is, you're going to find something that's going to, you know, make you think, make you go hmm. And if you're off the air and it's something that's tugging at you emotionally, that that's a pretty good that's a pretty good segment. When you, you know, find I, those stories, I, object, I can when get I you do it, those
2: stories. So when I had Jackie Sherrill on recently to talk about uh, the passing of Johnny Majors, uh, mm-hmm. Jackie Sherrill uh, breaks up, you know, halfway through the interview and sure. starts to cry. And I hear that. And so, you know, I respect that, but also bought him some time when I heard that because, you know, when you're doing interviews, especially in that case by phone, you know, you're in no man's land. Um, you know, I totally, you know, I had a chance to meet uh, Jim Valvano. Uh, a couple years before he passed away. And I remember the night that he gave that speech. He was so sick throughout the day. Mm. He didn't feel like he was going to have the energy to give that speech. Uh, but when you're in that situation behind the podium, and, and I love those moments, by the way, I'm always, I don't have notes. I love being able to be in that position. Off with, the
1: cuff, um, unscripted. Absolutely,
2: Absolutely. I, I love that. I love to feed off the audience. And for him, I remember about, Two minutes in, or three minutes, he was getting the cue. Like, okay, got to wrap it up. And he, and he 30 mentioned seconds. the fact that you can flash that. I'm not going anywhere fast. Um, and it was just one of those. And I, I take time too to replay that ever so often on the show because it's such a powerful speech. And I so agree with that. You know, I think that I'm not afraid to show my emotions. I'm not afraid to talk about my feelings. Uh, People say, well, that makes you weak. No, I think it makes me a strong person because I know who I am. I know what I have done and the the obstacles I've had to overcome to be the person I am today. Mm -hmm. And if I can influence, I think it's important to be influenced by somebody each and every day and also live with the attitude of trying to influence somebody else each and every day. And if you can do that, Just think about the impact that you can have not only on our our community, our country, our world. If everybody lived their life with that simple little goal of being inspired, inspiring others each and every day. One person. You don't have to inspire hundreds. If you're able to inspire one other person, I mean if it's yourself. I mean, Luther, what you go through. I mean, yes, you know, people look at you and they probably think, Oh, I feel sorry for him. He has a handicap. You don't You know what?
1: I'm, i everybody's like oh you know i'm sorry you're blind i'm like you know what for me it's no big deal because you know why i've dealt with it my whole life but it doesn't stop me from doing what i want to do
2: i'm gonna say this and i'm gonna i know the light bulb is gonna go off over your head uh you may not have eyes but you see very clearly
1: i've heard that expression at least once or twice I've heard, I've heard that expression at least once or twice. So, I mean, for me, it's like, I hope with the things that I'm doing, it may not be for everybody, but I hope I'm at least showing people that things can get done just because you have a disability of being blind or you, you know, you're blind and deaf. I've seen a lot of people... Well, not seen, but there have been a lot of people that have had more disabilities than I'll ever have, and yet they are doing extraordinary things. In the Survive and Advance um, 30 for 30 that ESPN did, which was great, by the way, when Jimmy V said, God takes ordinary people to do extraordinary things and he's right because God doesn't take people that are superior. He'll take people that have nothing and give them everything.
2: If they're willing to do what's necessary to get there. You know, I will close with, I was asked this yesterday, what gives Mm -hmm. you hope? and hope for me is my belief in everyday folks that are out there you know folks that some people would say are not special and those folks who inspire me because of what they do with the their impact that they have each and every day just ordinary citizens that's what gives me hope it's not quote unquote our so-called proclaimed leaders it's the individuals each and every day, the everyday person that lives in our country, in our world. It's those individuals that give me hope for tomorrow and our future.
1: Johnny, this has been a blast.
2: Well, thank you once again so much for inviting me on. and no, Thank I, you, I you for you the all time. All the best. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you I again. Mean, that, I
1: mean, this... I mean, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to find a way, even if it takes a minute, to get him on this show because I mean, I, I kind of wish you and I would have been able to meet at the Man City Classic that year when I was at White's Creek, but we just, our past didn't get a chance to cross and connect. But I hope we get a chance to, you know, meet in person because we've talked on the phone. We've now talked here on Zoom. Hope we'll actually get to meet in person at some point, whatever this new normal is supposed to be.
2: Whatever. Well, thank you. Uh, I hope you and your family and I hope everybody listening stay strong. Uh, keep doing what you're doing and, and do all the things like wearing your mask, uh, the social distancing, <laughs> yep. washing your hands. Do all those things so we can get back to, you know, especially from a sports standpoint, what we love most, enjoying <laughs> sports in person and and having those times and days. But it takes everybody doing even if you consider it a sacrifice, but for everybody doing what they need to do on a daily basis.
1: Looking forward to the show this afternoon and hopefully to do this again. And hopefully when we have another one of these conversations, we'll actually have games to talk about. And hopefully we'll look back at this COVID-19, the black Lives matter movement and all these other movements that are, you know, coming and going as a, step closer to the changes that
2: everybody can be a part of thank you so much i look forward to it and uh, have a blessed rest of the day my thanks to johnny ballpark
1: franks for being my guest on this week's episode of the blind broadcaster podcast the flagship entity of the luther king broadcast network if you have suggestions ideas or people you'd like to have on the podcast, please drop me a line by way of email at luther.king.tsb at gmail.com. Find me also that way on Facebook. If you want to find out more information about this network, look up the Luther King Broadcast Network Facebook page and the Blind Broadcaster Podcast Facebook page to learn more about this podcast. You can also find me at king underscore tsb on Twitter and on IG at lking.cardinalsfan85. So until next time... This has been
0: another exciting episode of the Blind Broadcaster Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Luther King Broadcast Network. You've been listening to the Blind Broadcaster podcast presented by the Luther King Broadcast Network. Each episode, Luther King sits down with fellow broadcasters to get their insight into their passion for broadcasting and discuss their career journey. Line from birth, Luther King never let that stop him from attaining his goal of becoming a blind broadcaster. To find out more about the Blind Broadcaster podcast presented by the Luther King Broadcast Network, search the Blind Broadcaster podcast or Luther King Broadcast Network on social media, or visit Luther King Broadcast network.com.